You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. This is Pharmacy Crossroads with your host, community pharmacy business veteran, the road trip guy, Bruce Neeland. Community pharmacy is at a crossroads. Pharmacy owners across the country are evolving their pharmacy businesses and making a bigger impact on their communities. Bruce talks with the most innovative community pharmacy owners, pharmacy industry experts, and people who are passionate about the business of pharmacy and its impact on community health care. Pharmacy Crossroads is a member of the Pharmacy Podcast Network. And now, here's our host, Bruce Neeland. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Pharmacy Crossroads. My name is Bruce Neeland, and I get to be your host. The goal of the podcast is to share with pharmacy owners and those who work with and support independent community pharmacy with information that will inspire all of us to do more and be better. Today, we're fortunate to have Rich Ost with us. He's the owner of Philadelphia Pharmacy in, guess where? Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Rich and I became acquainted back in 2010 when I was invited by America's Pharmacist Magazine to do a story that we ended up calling Five Fine Philadelphia Pharmacies. Try saying that five times in a row. Rich was one of those who I met on that trip, and I have been an admirer of his ever since. As we talk with him today, I think you'll understand why. So, Rich, take a minute, say hello to our our listeners, and uh, share with us just a little bit about the physical layout of your pharmacy and some of the things you do there to serve the community. Sure. Well, first, Bruce, thank you for having me. Um, Philadelphia Pharmacy opened in 1982. We serve a um, underserved community, basically a, um, a large amount of Medicaid recipients. And when we opened, one of the things that back in 1982 we became very aware of was a lot of our patients spoke Spanish. However, no one was really labeling in Spanish. Ah. So back in 1982, I spent $20,000 on a 10 megabyte computer, if anybody remembers what megabytes are, <laughs> so that when I typed in English, my labels would print out in Spanish. Well, little did I know that that became a community staple, and we got known as the Spanish pharmacy in the city of Philadelphia. And that allowed us to expand and grow and grow um, to the point we are now. Um we're a fairly busy pharmacy. We have people from the Hispanic neighborhood, which has expanded in Philadelphia, all over the city, still coming to us because they know that we are there to help them. The term we use is we became one of the first culturally competent pharmacies in Philadelphia. Philadelphia Pharmacy is not a very large store. It's only about 1,600 square feet total. We employ about 18 people working there, which seems like a lot, but we also turn out a lot of prescriptions quickly and accurately. And we're also there to help our patients and answer their questions. Um, one of the things we did about 10 years ago was we built an actual counseling room in the front of the store. Yeah. And people really took to this. We used it when people had questions. Our pharmacists say, why don't you come in here and sit down and we'll go through it with you. 
And people really started to love it, and they talked to their friends about it, too. Um, we had people come in. You spoke to my friend about their medication. I have some questions. Can I talk to you? As pharmacist roles have been expanding over the years, that's also become the vaccination room, um, the testing room, and everything else. And I'm sure that's going to be the COVID-19 vaccine room as soon as we get there. But being right in the front of the store, we have a big sign right on that door of the counseling room that that's what this is. Get your questions answered here in private. That's remarkable. Now, do you yourself speak Spanish or how are you handling that above and beyond the labels? I, um, I speak broken Spanish. Um, any good businessman knows or learns his weaknesses. And what I learned was I could never really do conversational Spanish. So I employ two pharmacists who are bilingual one of them who actually grew up right in that neighborhood, um, and they're both very fluent in Spanish. So they do most of the Spanish counseling. Uh, that's great. And um, I'm assuming that there is a decent uh, English-speaking population there as well. Uh, it's probably about 30% of our business, the English-speaking population. Um, Almost all our employees, with the exception of probably three or four, one of them, including me, because I speak broken Spanish, are not bilingual. But, um, uh, you know, 75, 80 percent of our employees are bilingual and able people in their native tongue. Well, and, and this is obviously not downtown, downtown, but, uh, you know, a densely populated uh, Philadelphia. So, uh, I mean, there's just an awful lot of people who live within walking distance of the pharmacy and, and a pretty vibrant business community there. Um, we're located actually across the street from a hospital. And while we're on the edge of a business area, because we're across the street from Episcopal campus of a Temple Hospital, a lot of our business is derived right from that facility. Interesting. So the 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 perhaps the most iconic thing, and and you sent me a picture of it the other day, and I had forgotten how impressive it was. You you need to take a couple minutes and tell the our listeners what I mean when I say the mural. Well, one of the problems we had when we first opened based on the neighborhood was a graffiti problem. And we needed to figure out a way to keep the building clean because image is in any business is so important. I'll never forget when I started in business and I went to visit some other pharmacies that were in the area. I walked into one pharmacy and there was a bottle of Listerine that was so discolored. And I had said something to the owner and he said, well, I don't sell it. Why would I take it off the shelf? No one's going to buy it, but I don't want to replace it. Yeah. And in my mind, it was all about image. Well, the image you got of Philadelphia Pharmacy when we were first open was you are in the ghetto. There's graffiti all over the building. Um, I reached out to the um, Philadelphia Mural Arts Department, which is run by Jane Golden. Um, who has really started that from scratch. And we were able to engage an artist to create the first Philadelphia Pharmacy mural. The mural wraps the whole building. We're a corner building. So it's about 60 feet on one side, 20 feet on the other side, and 40 feet high. Um, and the mural, the first mural we did was actually a scene of um, Philadelphia from the park area, looking over the river and at the art museum. 
Okay. And of course, on top of the mural in big letters, which would be three stories high, it said Philadelphia Pharmacy across the top. And if you're driving down Lehigh Avenue you, or Front Street, you could see that a couple blocks away. It stands out. Um, the first mural lasted about 10 years until it started to fade. So we did the second mural um, in about two, um, actually it was late 1990s. Um, we did the second mural and um, that was a little abstract scene. And again, the life of these murals was about 10 to 12 years. It started to fade. And like I said, image is important. So as soon as I saw it starting to fade or peel, we wanted to do something else. We did our third mural about three years ago. And um, we actually went into the community and asked people what they thought we should put on the wall. And if you get a chance to look at the picture of the mural, if you start on the far end, you'll notice that it's plants that make medicine. And what the people wanted was herbal remedies. They wanted something about how pharmacy was created. How so clever. Yeah. So if you look at the far end of the wall, there's herbal plants, plants that um, are used to make medicines in the olden days. We have people mixing it like they're in the olden days. We have a couple old prescriptions um, hanging up there like they would be made in the old days. And as you wrap around to the front of the building becomes the modern pharmacy um, or so not, not as modern as we are today, but you know, fairly modern pharmacy where it's right up front where our entrance, entrance and our main sign is. So it really does attract attention. Um, whenever, we, whenever someone refers to us and we have a lot of physicians that refer to us, they say it's the pharmacy with the mural on it. Oh, I know yeah. what one that is. <laughs> uh, nothing like becoming an icon. So you've said two things here that I just want to reiterate. Uh, image is important. And listening to your community is important. And, and I suspect that's a big part of the reason why you have, uh, have become as successful as you have. But that brings me to the bad news part of this. And, and I guess part of the primary reason why I invited you to chat with us today. Uh, all's not uh, uh, roses in the world. And uh, hey, let's take a quick break and listen to a message from our sponsor. Hey, Pharmacy Crossroads listeners, this is Bruce. I'm breaking into our program to give you a brief shout out to our sponsor. The Compliant Pharmacy Alliance, or better known as CPA, provides nearly 2,000 pharmacies with business support, purchasing power, and a number of other services. These services help CPA members operate more profitably. If you are looking for, and who isn't, ways to improve the performance of your pharmacy, then you just may want to reach out and talk with the people that make CPA work. It's simple, and they promise no pressure, just answers. Simply send an email to sales at compliantrx.com. Once again, that's sales at compliantrx.com. Now, back to our program. You had a major disaster uh, in your pharmacy a couple months ago. Uh, tell us a little bit about what happened. Sure. First, I want to start off by saying, while we're in a rough neighborhood, I think anybody needs to understand that 90% of those people in the neighborhood are really good people. Maybe 10% are the ones that cause the problems. Yeah. Unfortunately, those 10% get 90% of the attention. 
Um, so back when there was some looting in Philadelphia, when a um, black man did get shot in West Philadelphia, um, there were protests in West Philadelphia. Well, we're in North Philadelphia about six to eight miles away. Well, on Monday night, I believe it was the 27th or 26th of October, um, basically riots broke out about four or five blocks away from us on Aramingo Avenue, where a Walmart, a Target, um, a Lowe's, and a whole bunch of other stores were broken into and people were just running around. Um, and that was about six or seven miles away from where the actual shooting took place and where the protests were. So right. it wasn't really the protesters that did it. It was people that, at least in my mind, came from out of the city, knew where to go, and started to cause a problem. Um, after the first night unrest, the city put a curfew in. Um, we opened the next day, which was Tuesday, and everything was fine. We closed. And then about 1230 at night, which is Wednesday morning, I got a call from my alarm company that my alarm was going off. I was able to go on and log on to my camera system, and I could see that there were people, they were breaking in through the front door, and they were in the pharmacy. Um, I watched, there was about 10 people that ran in and basically tried to clean out whatever they could as quick as they could. And then what they did, they left, but they left the front door open. And the reason why I think they left the front door open is because they wanted everybody else who was driving around to come cover their tracks. Oh. I called the police. Um, the alarm company called the police, but I also called the police to say there are people in there. The police advised me not to go down there. They said they could not protect me because there was too much rioting going on in the city of Philadelphia. And they said there probably would not be too much I could do to stop. And um, the only thing that could happen from me going down is harm coming to me. So unfortunately, I sat in front of my computer monitor for six hours watching people walk in and out of the store. How traumatic. Taking whatever they wanted to take. Um, so we were able to get down there about seven o'clock in the morning with um, you know, a couple people enough that we felt secure to go in. There was no one in the store, but the store was basically empty. Um, they pulled TVs off the wall. Um, and we'll talk about TVs in a minute. Um, they damaged our registers. One of the things I learned was you leave the register drawer open at night so they don't damage it if they break in. Well, on the video I watched and the first guy emptied the register and then closed the drawer. An hour later, <laughs> someone else came in with a crowbar and banged the register and broke it until he can get the drawer open with nothing in it. So, you know, we were pretty much cleaned out. Um, I was pretty distraught. I got to be honest. I was I was really distraught that morning. Um, I'm in my early 60s, the sunset of my pharmacy career. And, you know, my wife said to me, do you think this should be it? Do you think we should just wrap up and say enough's enough? And I, I really got to say, I didn't know at that point. I, I, I would have said no right away, but I just wasn't 100% sure. Yeah, I mean, you got to go through what the five stages of grief or whatever, right? So it's Exactly. So when I got down to the store, we started cleaning up. My staff came in. Um, and next thing I know, we had neighbors come in. And they said, what can we do to help you? We heard what happened. And please, don't leave our neighborhood. We got at least 
20 to 30 phone calls that morning from people saying, what can we do to help you? Please don't leave our neighborhood. It wow. wasn't the neighborhood that did it to you. It was people coming from outside. Um, some of the, some of our customers came in and said, look, they heard it was going on, but there's nothing they could have done. If there's something they could have done, they would have been there to help us. Yeah. And we really had a lot of neighborhood people just sweeping up all the trash on the street and just, just, doing anything we could to get open to help us. By two o'clock that day, even though we had very little merchandise, we were able to reopen the store. Fortunately for us, our infrastructure was not damaged. Um, our phone system, our internet, our computer, our server, while they damaged a couple computers, we had enough computers that we can get everything open. And the fact that our pharmacy management system wasn't touched at all, um, was really a godsend because it, it enabled us to open up and at least tell people we don't have medicine, we can get it to you tomorrow. And working with our supplier, who is McKesson, we were able to arrange a full inventory to be delivered on a special truck the next morning um, at wow. an early time. And our staff volunteered to come in early to get it on the shelves so we would be ready for our customers who needed it that morning, that next morning. So let, really let's was. take a step back for just a second to put this in perspective. Your pharmacy was not the only pharmacy in Philadelphia that was hit that night, right? No, there were, um, I believe it was six to eight pharmacies hit that night, and there was another six that were hit the night before. So, I mean, and, it's a big deal in Philadelphia. Correct. And what, what the consensus that's going around, and, you know, this is all just people talking from what we hear. We actually think it's a group that hit this. They all hit the same pharmacy at the same time. They get in and out in 10 or 15 minutes. Then they go to the next pharmacy and they leave their doors open. They leave the door open or the front destroyed so other people can go in and cover their tracks. Yeah, they've thought about it. I, I mean, I'm assuming did they smart enough to get all the scheduled items or what was was that it's, kind it's of exactly what they went for? You know, when you watch the video, you saw them run in. They, they were looking at the shelves, they were pulling open drawers, they were reaching into cabinets, and they finally found the lock cabinet that had the narcotics in, and they were able to get into that and basically yeah. look everything. And as soon as they found that, that was when they were really started to exit. So you brought tears to my eyes, literally, when you start talking about the response of the community. When we chatted in preparation for this, you couldn't say enough about your staff and um, tell us a little bit about how they reacted and, and how you kind of handled managing their fear and trepidation and all that. Um, without my staff, this couldn't have been done. And basically um, in the morning, we started to develop a plan of what we had to do and section out people and saying, you're here, you're here, you're here. I made a decision as a manager that almost everything needed to be replaced because everything on the shelf that was still on the shelf was either damaged, opened, or you know, on the floor. So um, the pharmacist went through the back to seeing if there's anything they could save. In the front of the store, we basically told our staff, anything that doesn't look good, anything that looks questionable, we're gonna throw it out and start with fresh inventory. Um, so we assigned everybody positions and said, here, and then one of my staff members came up to me, who's, who's our store manager, Myra, and said, Richard, let us do our job. You go do what you need to do. Let us clean the store. You've got a lot of other things to take care of. And, you know, at first when you say, well, why, why, would, why would someone say, you know, you can leave the store and go do what you need to do for whatever else that needs to be fixed? 
someone might be insulted, but I actually took it as a compliment. Yeah. Because they just wanted to stand up and get this right and get this fixed. And they didn't need me on top of them to say, do this, do this, do this, do this. Once we gave them the instructions, they knew what they had to do. And it freed me up to make the calls to the insurance company, to start with the DEA, to start with all the other things that I needed to do. So that enabled us to open so quickly because, like I said, by 12 o'clock, the store was really almost cleaned up and we were just going through making sure there was nothing dangerous so we could really open the doors for our customers. Fascinating. So you you mentioned... I, I, I hate I wish I I wish I would have asked you this question before so I would know whether to ask you the question or not. But do you have some kind of a, a checklist? Did you have a disaster plan? Did did you have a place to go to see who you needed to call? Um, I'd like to say I had it in advance, but it gave me something to do between 1230 and 630 as I was watching the video of everybody breaking in. Yeah. Um, I would, one of the things that I did while they were breaking in, I was able to log on to my server from home and I was able to print out, um, different things from an inventory list to every drug that was in will call because all our will call bags were stolen. So I just started to create all these reports. And during the night, I just wrote down everything I needed to do. And then probably about 5.30 in the morning, I organized my notes and I said, okay, I'm ready to rock and roll. Let's go attack this. Yeah. And so advice for uh, other pharmacy owners who might have this happen to them tomorrow is what? It's always great to have a disaster plan, but a plan's only as good as the paper it's written on. Um, you know, you really need to... Um, Make sure you know who you can count on on your team to do certain things. Um, you need to make sure that, you know, as you're running the business today, it's running up correctly. So we have a perpetual inventory for our narcotics. We have all the, th we have an accurate will call so we can tell what was in will call. So we could tell all these things in advance and it was just a matter of getting a lot of these reports out. Of course, we had our disaster plan from our HIPAA manual that right. lists the um, electric company number with the account number, the phone company, the phone repair company, the computer company, the wholesaler, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. But you still need direction. And I, I think the, the best thing that I did was I became a leader that day, but I also let the people manage themselves and I didn't micromanage them on cleaning up. They accepted responsibility and they were really proud of what they did. Well, and I, I mean, I, I gotta tell you, the other thing that touched my heart was the thank you note I got from the staff, um, you know, that you guys would take the time to do that. So um, uh, that, you know, you, you've, you've got a good team and and I, I gather almost two months later, it's a bad memory, but are you kind of back on top of things and, and back to normal, or there's still some roadblocks? Um, no, the store was pretty much back to normal. We're finding different strange things. Like at the end of the month, we check our modem phone lines. So the end of November, when we went to check the phone lines, we found out that they stole our single line phone that was sitting in back. So we're still finding little strange things that are missing. I mean, we were, they stole my Keurig coffee machine off my, off my <laughs> office desk. 
Yeah. You know, and so there's a lot of little things we're still finding, but but we're 99.9% operational. Every once in a while, there comes, you know, a strange decision, like we are carrying a special drug for somebody and now we don't have it. And we, you know, it's not something we reordered right away. So we had to get it for them. Um, you know, but we're back up to normal, and it's just a matter of dealing with the insurance company. All our reports were filed with the state and the DEA, you know, within the required time frame. That's great. Well, that's a wonderful story. Let's change the let's change the tone and tenor for a minute and kind of go back to some normal stuff. So, uh, your pharmacy has been there a while. You're an icon in the area. You've got this beautiful mural. What are some of the other fun things that you do there to kind of uh, uh, establish a, an image and invite people into your store and build relationships? Well, I'll share a couple things with you. Um, number one was a story I was just telling someone the other day. Um, we have a motto in the store that whenever someone comes to us with an issue, we don't make the problem bigger. We create an answer. And I think that's why so many doctors will refer their customers to us. Um, if a person comes in with a prescription for something that's not covered, we don't leave a message with the doctor that says, Person A came in, you need a prior authorization, let me know what you want to do. We will call the doctor and we'll say to the doctor, person A came in, they needed a prior authorization for this drug, but here's some alternatives if you'd like to choose from them that might be covered. Ah. So we have physicians that just send their people to us and they'll write on the prescription or adequate substitute, just let me know. So they know that we're going to call them with an answer. Following that same theory, um, this happened a little while ago, but we had a customer come in with a bag of medicine and asked to speak to the pharmacist. And I happened to be standing right at the counter and the person emptied their medicine bag and they were from a chain store. And the yeah. girl at the counter looked at me and said, shouldn't she go back to the chain store and find out what they're for? And I said, absolutely not. We took her into the counseling room and we went through all her medicines. Later on, that employee said to me, why would we do that when she wasn't a customer? I said, because she will be a customer now. <laughs> so it's providing information. And one of the other things that we do that has really taken off in the community, um, which you kind of have to laugh at, is you know you want to find different promotions, different ways to get people in your store. So about 10 years ago, we had a staff meeting and we started talking about what can we do to get people in the store? What could we give away? What could we do? Um, what, you know, how could we do things? And keep in mind, we're in a fairly depressed area. One of my employees suggested, why don't we give away TVs to people? Everybody loves a new flat screen TV. Who wouldn't want that? Right. So I went out, I found out at that point, the, the price of a 40 inch flat screen TV was about $350. So I was able to purchase um, a, a bunch of them to hold me over for a couple months. And we created a promotion in our store where we gave away a 40 inch TV every two weeks. A 40 inch, I mean, that's a real TV. That's a real TV. And not only that, but we hung two of those TVs right where the patients sit with signs, take me home, ask me how, in both English and Spanish. So people would get the coupons, fill it out, and you would get the coupons if you came in, you didn't need to make a purchase, but you would get the coupons and fill them out. Um, after a couple months, I went back to the staff and I said, what do you think? 
And they said to me, you can't stop this. <laughs> and I said, why? They said, because everybody talks about it. And I thought about it. And I said, well, if I say to a customer, I'm going to give away $350 every two weeks in cash, that customer is going to put the money in their pocket and next week, forget about it. They might spend it on food. They might spend it on anything. Who knows? If I give a person a 40-inch TV, they're going to set it up in their home and they're going to call all their friends, come see over, come over and see what I won. Yeah. Where did you win that? I wanted a Philadelphia pharmacy. Oh, do you have to go there? Yep. You just have to go in and ask for a coupon. They'll give you one. You fill it out and they do it every two weeks. Well, before we knew it, we had people coming in just asking for TV coupons. And again, the same thing happened. The employees, a couple of employees came to me and said, well, there's, there's people that aren't customers asking them to come in for it. I said, first of all, it's open to everybody. But second of all, if they're coming in, eventually they're going to be a customer because they're, they're going to see how nice we're treating them. Right. So coupling, coupling the promotion with customer service is kind of the key to converting a walk-in traffic to uh, prescription customers, right? Correct. And, and, and that's the key is letting people know it's easy to get to you and easy to get your questions answered. And you're going to provide them the service they deserve. And, uh, and uh, yeah, and in a manner where you're treating them with dignity and in many cases, talking to them in a language that they prefer. Correct. I, 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 I hate to take time to do this, but it just reminds me when I first started being a salesman, I, I was uh, friends with a guy who had been a life insurance salesman and he loaned me some of his sales oriented uh, cassette tapes back in the 1970s. And uh, many of our listeners won't have an idea what a cassette tape is, but uh, I listened to them as I was driving around. And one of the stories was about a, a TV sales company in the 50s that had the first color TVs in the area and people would come in to look at the color TVs as a novelty and he would persuade them to take one home for a week and try it out. And the point of the story was, is once the person got the home, the TV in their home and tried it out and showed all their neighbors how cool it was, none of them were returned. So it was a great sales tool and, and you've tapped into some of that same kind of thinking. So um, this is fun. We've chatted a little bit. I, I do want to ask you one more question, and then we have to talk about COVID, and then I'll ask you for a closing comment. So uh, you do have COVID in Philadelphia, right? And um, Unfortunately, any, yes. Anything unique or interesting that you've done to protect your staff and your customers and continue to operate? We, we've taken the standard precautions. Um, we have someone at the front door making sure that people are, have masks on when they come in the store. Um, we've set up areas where people can properly socially distance. But the biggest thing we did was we changed around our delivery model. Um, we use Facebook and we put an ad on Facebook, stay safe, stay at home, let us deliver to you. Yeah, Our deliveries went from about 25 a day up to a high of about 150 a day. And that's 150 bags, not 150 prescriptions. Wow. We ended up going from one delivery driver to three and a half delivery drivers at one point. Um, and we told people, stay home, let us bring it to you. Unfortunately, because of our location in the inner city and we don't have a parking lot and there's not a hell of a lot of parking in the area we are, we really didn't have a good option for curbside um, 
Yeah. Kickoff. Now, I was under the opinion that this is going to last two, three months, maybe. So, uh, you know, no one really thought a year later we're still going to be dealing with the same thing. But we have picked up a lot of business, again, um, from being able to take medications right to people's houses. Um, we certainly hope that when COVID is over that our delivery numbers go back down. And we did see them go back down, you know, towards the summer when people came out a little more. But we we are seeing them rise again. So delivery has kind of been the major thing. And um, to get that kicked off and people aware, you did a lot with Facebook, I gather. That's correct. We actually, our staff made a video um, about, you know, coming in and asking for delivery or calling and asking for a delivery. Yeah. Um, we attracted so much attention with what we did. We actually had some of the news stations do stories on us. Well, you've always been a, a remarkable guy in working with the, the, the local community, elected officials, the, all that stuff. And and again, that's a, you know, that we can't get into that today, but it, it just emphasizes to me that you got to be a total person in the community. And, uh, and, and you've been a leader in understanding how to do that on a lot of fronts. Bruce, um, I just want to add one thing real quick that we did please. that I think is kind of important. Um, when COVID hit and we started with the deliveries, I had one of my staff members call every elected official that had an office within 10 miles of us, stating to them that we are open. Any other constituents that run into a pharmacy emergency, they can feel free to call us. Yeah. It helps create that relationships with the legislators that, hey, independent pharmacies are really good guys. The chains were saying they'll deliver, but they weren't delivering the way we were. Yeah. Um, interesting little tidbit, which brings us to the kind of the closing question here. Any, any other piece of management advice, marketing philosophy uh, that you feel like you'd like to share with uh, other owners who are uh, struggling with low reimbursement, slow reimbursement, egregious audits and all that kind of stuff that at least gives them hope that they, if, if they do things right, they can still make a living being a pharmacy owner? Sure. One of the things that I really push and I've learned over, you know, the last 15 years is really learn to trust your staff, train them, don't micromanage them, let them accept responsibility for what they're doing. If they make a mistake, educate them, show them what they did wrong. If they fill a prescription and use a wrong DAW, explain to them, retrain them. But when you let people, especially your employees, take some pride in what they're doing and give them a chance to do something, you're going to find that they really, they really produce for you. And over the last 15 years, we've really changed our culture to really the employees run the store now. They don't need me for every little decision. They don't need me for every little thing. They don't need to pick up the phone and call the manager. We work by the philosophy of you make a decision. If it's right, it's right. If it was wrong for some reason, we'll discuss why it was wrong, and hopefully you won't make the same decision again. But that really goes, you know, not only from the um, cashier and technician level, but up to the pharmacist level of, you know, give them a little, give him or her a little bit of um, responsibility, let them accept a little pride in their job, and you're really going to see they're going to produce for you. And more important, listen to them. You know, when you have staff meetings, ask them for ideas, ask them for concepts. Um, and, and I think that's a piece that 
too many. I mean, let's face it, learning how to delegate is um, a key management skill, and it doesn't come naturally. Um, but it, you're never going to grow if you can't train your people to take responsibility and figure out how to reward them. And and I don't know that reward is always money. Um, I, and that's, I know that's so true because one of the things that we did after the um, break in was we gave everybody a hundred dollars in gift certificates to a local chain restaurant. Um, instead of giving them a hundred dollars to put it in their pocket, they took their family out and their family yeah. said, thank you to me. Yeah. It meant something to them. They wouldn't have taken that same hundred dollars and going out to dinner. They might've just spent it on whatever else. So, you know, thanking your employees is, and letting them know you appreciate them, um, is very important. Well, well said, and what a great way to end. Uh, uh, so Pharmacy Crossroads listeners, I think I promised you at the beginning that as you got acquainted with Rich, that you would agree he's a remarkable guy. I um, want to thank you, Rich, so much for being part of this uh, podcast. It's been fun to chat with you. Um, I am making a trip to Philadelphia, at least hoping to make a trip to Philadelphia over the Christmas holiday. And so don't be surprised if I show up at your door wearing a mask and looking to buy a candy bar or something, okay? There you go, Bruce. Always a pleasure talking to you. Thank you for all you do for Pharmacy too. Thank you. And that's it for this episode of Pharmacy Crossroads. Thanks for listening to Pharmacy Crossroads. If you're interested in talking with Bruce, please contact the show. Visit PharmacyCrossroads.com. We look forward to hearing from you. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.